Welcome to the Epiphany Lutheran Church podcast. These messages, based on a biblical text, interpreting the hearer's situation, informed by Christian teaching, creatively proclaim the crucified and risen Jesus of Nazareth for forgiveness and new life starting now. Epiphany Lutheran Church is located in South City, St. Louis, Missouri. Our vision is to be a community that puts Jesus first, neighbors second, and ourselves third by gathering to be served by him so we can grow to love as he loves. Learn more at epiphany-stl.org. That's epiphany-stl.org. Near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. He said to him, Your brother has come. Your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he, the elder brother, was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I may celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him? And he, the father, said to his son, Son, you are always with me. All that is mine is yours. This is the gospel of the Lord. Please be seated.
I need two volunteers. Brianna, Olivia, come on up. All right, so next uh, week, hopefully the children are going to perform uh, a bell piece for you. They've been practicing in Sunday school, and they'll play these handbells. So I want Brianna and Olivia, our volunteers, to demonstrate. So uh, we're gonna, I want you to hold it up real high, hold it up real high, and, and give, them, give them a ring. Let them hear. Come on, let them ring. What? What's going on? Why aren't the bells working like they're supposed to work? Okay. Yeah, there's some gooey black gorilla tape in there. Don't worry, Miss Amy. I've put other stuff inside to protect it. All right. So let's try a little. Try again. Nah, the bells are not doing what they were made to do. Okay. Good. Good job. Everyone, give them a round of applause. They can't do what they're made to do because there's things interfering. There's some, some gorilla tape in there. Something is keeping you from doing what you were made to do. Something is preventing you. What is it? In his letter, John explains what it is. There is no fear in love. Say that with me. Perfect love casts out fear. Whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Fear is keeping you from being who you were made to be, doing what you were made to do. Fear is powerful. Fear is like blinders. You know, you've seen the blinders on the horses downtown carrying the, pulling the carriages uh, the, on the bridle there, and it keeps them from being able to see to the left or the right or behind them. And that's good in, in a city situation so the horse doesn't get spooked. But if you saw a horse out in the country, it'd be ridiculous to see blinders on a horse because that's not what a horse is supposed to have. And so also, that's not what you're supposed to be like. You're not supposed to be blinded by fear. But that's what fear does to you. It, it blinds you. When I was in seventh grade, I started my first practice of tackle football. And I had never played tackle football before that day, but I was really excited. And I put all my pads on and my helmet, and the coach had us do a a tackling drill to get warmed up. Most of the kids had never played before, but there were a few who had played. So he paired me up with Greg. Now, Greg had played tackle football since kindergarten. Paired me up with Greg, and the drill was where you you lay down on the ground... You're back on the ground and you're looking up at the sky and you're helmet to helmet with the other player and then the coach has the football and he throws the ball to one of you. You don't know who's going to get the ball, but whoever gets the ball in that moment is on offense and whoever doesn't get the ball is on defense. So there I am laying, ready, looking, waiting for the ball and the coach throws me the ball right in my gut and I stand up and before I got to right about here, Greg hits me and I'm on my back. The rest of my time on a football field, through high school, I lived in fear. I was not very good at 
football because it was like I had blinders on. Even as I got bigger and stronger, that never left me. Fear can blind you. My coach would say, Ziggy, you got to get your head on a swivel. It just didn't work. All I could see was right here. Fear blinds you. Fear is like paralyzing venom. The, the coral snake has some of the most potent venom in the world, and it works almost instantaneously when it bites. It doesn't kill the victim. It fires all the nerves inside the victim like one giant muscle spasm, and the victim is frozen, paralyzed, so that the snake can take control of the situation. Fear does something similar. I remember once I was at a hotel, and I was walking through the swimming pool area, and out of the corner of my eye, I saw a body in the pool, face down, like this. And as soon as I saw it in the corner of my eye, I knew something was wrong. And I wish I could tell you that I, I jumped into the pool and, and pulled the, the person out. But I was frozen. I honestly could not move. Fear had paralyzed me. And then he comes to, and it's a little boy just playing to see how long he can hold his breath. But that, never, that memory never left me. The paralyzing power of fear. I have a friend who is paralyzed by fear. He worries about money and the future all the time. And it chokes him. It muffles him. It's like this bell. It just doesn't, it, things don't work because of the fear that paralyzes him. Fear, it's like going into a room covered with mirrors. Mirrors on the walls, mirrors on the ceiling, even mirrors on the ground. And all, everywhere you look, no matter where you look, all you see is yourself. And the, the whole world is turned back in on you. That's what fear does to you. I remember my first day of school as an eighth grader. I went to a new school. I guess Greg scared me away after that football practice. So I went to eighth grade, a different school, a different state. And I didn't know if people were going to like me. I didn't know if I was going to have any friends, if anybody would talk to me. And it was like that. It was like everything was turned back on me. I was hyper-conscious of what I looked like, what I sounded like, what I smelled like, a junior high student, what my, my bad, bad breath. I was conscious of all of those things. And if there were two girls who were whispering in the corner, I knew that they had to be whispering about me. And if there were boys laughing in the hall, I knew that they had to be mocking me and making fun of me. And if I was sitting across from the lunch table from somebody who was a little standoffish and didn't want to talk, I assumed it was because they didn't like me or I had bad breath. I never thought for a moment that maybe they were shy or nervous and they were waiting for me to reach out. But that's what fear does to you. It turns you in on yourself and all you can see is yourself. Fear is blinding. It's paralyzing. It's, it makes you turn in on yourself. Fear is powerful. It keeps you from doing what you were made to do. The Christian church has many, many reasons to be afraid these days. 
it's almost like the whole culture has left us behind and they just don't care anymore about who we are and what we have to offer. If you ever drive south on Morgan Ford here into the county, you might drive past this, past this beautiful brick building. Was a, once, I'm sure, was called a monument to God. Massive structure, beautiful sanctuary, and it's for sale as a, a, a commercial redevelopment investment property. How could a church like that fail? Well, this is what's happening in our culture. The, the world's leaving us behind, and we can't support these gorgeous buildings anymore. This is happening all over the United States, Canada, Europe. Churches are being sold or abandoned. I found this video on YouTube. There were some young men snooping around in an abandoned church, and they uploaded it on YouTube. This was actually a church in the city of St. Louis. And they walk into this dark and cavernous space. They stumble upon the old sanctuary. The videographer says, Dude, look, is that not, like, amazing? And his friend says, Yo, Josh, you're going to get a picture of me on the pews, and I'm going to act like I'm praying. Dude, that's going to be sick. Okay, you go stand in there like you're the preacher. See, this old church was abandoned, left for dead. All the members have run away. A band of evil men has encircled this church, roaring lions, tearing their prey, open their jaws to devour. They scar and they mark up the church with spray paint. They divide its garments. And if you listen closely, you can almost hear that old church crying out in fear. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What if this were to happen to our building? This beautiful monument to God. Does that make you afraid at all? It makes me afraid. And it's not just our church, it's, it's all the churches around us. Let's not just focus in on our concern for the future. Every church has this concern. Shrinking membership, sanctuaries that once were seated for 400, 500, 600 people. Dwindling attendance, dwindling offerings. It's not just us, everybody's in this situation. Now the thing for us though is because we're in a nice neighborhood, probably won't be abandoned uh, it'll probably be sold for uh, like a theater, nice restaurant, maybe a craft brewery. But it frightens me. How do you respond when you're frightened? How do you respond when you feel threatened? When you've when you got vultures around you waiting to devour you? How, what's the normal way to respond? You... You shrink in, in fear. You, you uh, 
protect everything that you have, you cling to it even tighter than you did before. And you station guards at all the doors. And you, you prevent this from happening as long as possible. You react in fear. We react in fear, but if we're reacting in fear, we are not communicating the love of Jesus. We are not communicating Jesus to our neighbors if we react in fear. We could preserve and hold and keep for many, many years, but we would no longer be the church of Jesus. We'd be a church built on fear. Jesus has better plans for us. Jesus intends us to lead us. I don't know what the future holds, but I know that Jesus intends to lead us to be like him. What's he like? Well, he's like this father in the parable story that we've been studying. And I want you to run through this story again as you've been listening to it in the video that we've been going through in our small group Bible studies. Think of all the reasons that the father would have to fear. What, what could possibly make this father afraid? Well, his younger son's come back, who's proven himself unreliable, wasteful, and now he wants a job. What's to say that he's not going to do this again? What's to say that he's not going to cut out on him again? And now what we're dealing with is an estate that shrunk by one-third. Because when he divided the estate, he gave it to the son, and that son squandered everything. So now we're dealing with a diminished estate. And if he welcomes him back, now that smaller estate is threatened. And if he welcomes him back and makes him a son, then guess what? He's got inheritance rights over the diminished estate. And so what does that do? That further divides what he's able to pass on to his older son. And so the father has reason to fear that, of the tension that's going to cause between the two brothers. How the older brother is going to get along with this diminished estate, with depleted financial reserves. And the father's got many reasons to respond in fear. But what does he do? He says to the younger son, You're home. And when the older son responds in anger and fear, he responds to him in love. Everything I have is yours. You're always with me. It seems like an impossible expectation to, uh, to respond like that. When you're threatened, when you're afraid, to respond in love. And, and it is. Um, raise your hand if you are, have been perfected in love. <laughs> raise your hand if love has cast out all your fears. No. Uh, that's why we need each other. That's why we need to keep coming back to him. Saying, Lord, I've messed up again. I've, I've let my fears blind me. I've let my fears paralyze me. I've let my fears turn me in on myself. I need your help. We just need to keep coming back to him. Jesus has come to die to take away our sins, but, but I want you to focus on this today. Jesus has come to drive out your fears, to, to cast them out. And this is a process. And he did it in a particular way. He came and experienced our fears. 
And if you want to know what was going through Jesus' mind and heart psychologically, we have this gift in the Old Testament, Psalm 22. Psalm 22, Jesus takes up these words and makes them his own on the cross. And we only hear the first verse, but, but he takes up the whole psalm. And so I, I want to share this psalm with you again. You've, some of you have heard me do this before, uh, several months ago. But I want you to listen to this psalm again and focus on this point. Watch for the way that Jesus' perfect love drives out fear. The psalm starts choked in fear. You, 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 you can't hear, you can't see what he was made to be just yet. Choked in fear. But by the end, you'll see perfect love in action, casting out fears. And he wants to do this in you. He wants to do this in me. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I call to you by day, but you do not answer. By night, but I find no rest. Yet you are holy. Enthroned in the praises of Israel. In you our fathers trusted. They trusted in you and you delivered them. They called to you and were rescued. They trusted in you and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults at me, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let the Lord deliver him. Let the Lord deliver him because he delights in him. Yet you are he who took me from the womb. You brought me to trust you at my mother's breast. On you I was cast from my birth. From my mother's womb you have been my God. Be not far from me, for there is none to help. Many bulls surround me. Strong bulls encircle me. Roaring lions tearing their prey. They open their mouths wide against me. I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It melts within my chest. My strength is dried up like dust. My tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. 
Many dogs surround me. A band of evil men encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my garment among themselves. For my clothing they cast lots. O Lord, be not far from me. O my strength, come quickly to my aid. Rescue my life from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dogs. Save me from the horns of the wild oxen. Rescue me from the jaws of the lion. I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the congregation, I will praise you. All you who fear the Lord, praise him. Stand in awe of him, all you offspring of Jacob. Glorify him, all you children of Israel. Because he has not despised the sufferings of the afflicted, he has not turned his face away, but he has heard when he cried to him. From you comes my strength in the great congregation. I will keep my promises before those who fear him. The afflicted of the earth shall eat and be satisfied. All who seek the Lord shall serve him. May your hearts live forever. The ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. All the families of all the nations shall bow down before him. For kingship belongs to the Lord and he rules over the nations. The prosperous of the earth shall eat and be satisfied. Before you shall bow all who go down into the dust. Even the one who could not keep himself alive. Generations shall serve the Lord. A future generation shall be told of him. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn. That he has done it. I don't know what's going to happen to our church. I don't know who's going to be the next pastor. I don't know what's going to become of all the work that we've done 
in our community, with our neighbors, with our local public school. I don't know what it's going to take to raise up the volunteers and the financial resources to keep this ministry going into the years to come. I don't know what it's going to be like for me and my new job and my family. I don't know what it's going to be like for any of you and your, your lives and your jobs and your schools. I don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow. But I know Jesus. And I know that he has come and he died and he lives to cast out all our fears. And I can see him already doing that. I can see his love radiating in you. You know that our neighbors can see it too. We might not be able to see it yet, but they can see it. They can see him doing work here. I can see generations 